Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. What are you going through? Last week I asked you the question, what have you been through? That covered everybody, but this question's a little bit more selective because some of you are going through a difficult time right now. The title of our series is just the one word, through. I've been waiting to preach this series for 15 years and finally felt like I got clearance from the tower to get it started. I love the word through because it exists in contradistinction to the word inside. If I ask you today, what are you inside? That could communicate that you're not coming out. Inside means you may have to stay there. But through, through indicates a journey in which you come out. In fact, last week I gave you my favorite Oxford Dictionary definition of the word through. You know, through is the kind of word we don't define. It's not part of our vocabulary exercises because we sort of assume the understanding of the meaning. It's kind of baked into the vocabulary. But last week I gave you the definition I love of the preposition through. It means moving in one side and out of the other side of an opening, a channel, or a location. I think that's why I love the word so much. For me, every time I think about the word through, it always connotes the concept of a tunnel. And you know, there are three phases of a tunnel. There's the going in, the inside, and the coming out. I mean, there is the going in of a tunnel. Um, Whenever you enter one of the tunnels of life, it goes like a material tunnel. It goes from daylight to dark, doesn't it? It's like your life is just rocking right along, and then... You get up one day or maybe you go to bed one day and you think back on the fact that what has happened that day has meant that your life is never going to be the same again. Life is different than it was 24 hours ago. Mary Alice and I read through the Bible every, every year. We read this morning before we came to the campus, but uh, she likes to read out loud. I like to be read to, so it works real well. But reading through the Bible every year, we read through the book of Psalms twice. And every time she reads through Psalm 30, I just want to jump up out of my seat because what I read in that Psalm is just so cool. There there are myriad reasons why I know the Bible is the word of God. Actually, the pre-Easter series next year is going to be called The Authentic Jesus. You're going to want to be part of that series. And there are a lot of reasons. I mean, I I could stand here throughout the day and give you compelling reasons why I believe the Bible is the word of God. But one of the reasons, maybe not the greatest, but one that means a lot to me, one of the reasons why I know the Bible is the word of God is it's so honest. Did any of you grow up in, or maybe it's been more recent, but were any of you ever in traditional religion where there were certain subjects that it was okay to talk about, but certain subjects you just didn't talk about? I mean, everybody in the church knew that they were real subjects, but you just avoided them. They were like the um, elephant in the phone booth. That's one thing I love about New Spring. It's been safe to talk about all, all kinds of things here. 
But the reason, one of the reasons I know the Bible is the word of God is the Bible is just honest about stuff. And I mean, the Bible has its heroes and heroines say things that we kind of read and we're like, wow, I might need to read that again. And in the 30th Psalm, the psalmist says one of those things that we're sort of surprised that God allowed to be in the Bible. He says, when things were going great, I crowed, I've got it made. I'm God's favorite. Well, that's how it renders in the message. Our primary translation here at New Spring is the NLT, the New Living Translation. That's what Mary Alice and I read at home. In the New Living Translation, the psalmist says, nothing can stop me now. That's not the kind of thing that we say. But we can live like we feel that way. I mean, when everything is going fairly well, I mean, not perfect, but when everything's going fairly well, it's like, wow, I'm there now. You know, when I was going through college and eating ramen every night, just surviving on that and wondering how I was going to pay my bills. But now I've got a good job and I got a good career. People like me and people are talking about how I'm on the fast track and, and I feel good and I'm in a good relationship. We don't say it out loud, but it's kind of like that. Nothing can stop me now. In the next line, in the message, it says, he made me king of the mountain. Does anyone here suspicion that this is about to turn 180 degrees? <laughs> you just sort of feel it coming, don't you? You're right. Because then the psalmist said, then you look the other way. And I fell to pieces. Well, God doesn't look the other way, but it sort of feels that way, doesn't it? I mean, for any of you who are in a tunnel right now and your life was like, your well-ordered life was going along so fine and all of a sudden there's a day and you realize with the events of that day, life is never going to be the same again. You went in for the routine physical that you have every year. And instead of you getting the numbers sent to you. You get a phone call from the doctor and the doctor says, there's some numbers. We need you to come back in for some more testing. Or maybe you look at your phone and you see that it's one of your kids and you're figuring it's just an ordinary call, but it's not an ordinary call. Man, those tunnels are going to come to all of us. That is, that's what it's like when you go into the tunnel. Life is not going to be the same again because the events of this day have changed everything. And then there is the third phase of the tunnel, which is coming out, and we love that. You know, if going in is darkness to daylight, I mean, daylight to darkness, then this is darkness to daylight. When you're in a material tunnel, you know how this is. I mean, you're traveling along in the tunnel, and all of a sudden you can see a glow of light that's not the electronic lights overhead. It's just a glow of light that signals that the exit of the tunnel is coming up. And for any of you who've been into a difficult season in your life and you started to feel that turnaround coming, you're still in the tunnel, but you can see that glow that says the exit is just ahead. Maybe you've gone through marriage trouble and you wondered if you were going to make it. And someone said that marriage has three stages, ideal, ordeal, and back to ideal. But a lot of people, it goes from ideal to ordeal to new deal. And some of you were thinking, maybe we're going to have to have a new deal here. But after you've been in that tunnel, maybe because of counseling, maybe because of just some growing up, you know, you find yourself saying to yourself, I never thought he was going to change, but he seems to be turning around. He seems to be more sensitive. He seems to care more about how I feel. Or she seems to understand me better. He's still in the tunnel, but you can see the light. What is the expression that we have for that? 
the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. There's going in and there's coming out, but that's not what I need to talk about today. I want to talk about the hardest part of all. And that is when you're, and here's today's title, in the tunnel. Well, first of all, let's just be clear about what we're talking about. We're talking about time. You know, if you have a problem that crops up at 10 o'clock in the morning and by 5 o'clock it's all resolved, that's not a tunnel. You can't use the word through there. Because what was broken got fixed. No, when we talk about through here, when we think about the title of our series, we talk about the kinds of things that you have to go through. We're talking about time. We're talking about that slow, dragging, painful, nothing's changing passing of time. Like I said to you last week, we Americans are groomed to expect a resolution in the two-hour window of a movie, the 30-minute window of a television show. Actually, in the 21st century, we're groomed to expect resolution with a click or a swipe. We're so, we're so used to cheap merchandise in the United States. I mean, stuff that used to be repaired isn't repaired anymore. We throw it away. I mean, for all of you under 40, you have no context for the fact that there was once a very good career in the United States where a person could make very good money being a TV repairman. <laughs> we don't repair TVs today. My goodness, we don't even wait till they're broken. It's like, I have a 75-inch TV, but that was so 2021. I mean, I need an 85-inch TV. And we just give it away or get rid of it. We're used to buying another, taking a pill, downloading the app, searching for the information on our browser. But then comes our tunnel and our presto change life is redefined. What do we do then? Mary Alice and I have a niece, one of the godliest young women I've ever met in my life. Mary Alice's sister's daughter, she's in her 30s. And today she's in the ICU unit at Baylor Hospital in Dallas. She's been there for over 90 days after having her second double lung transplant in the last decade. Back in August, I had a couple of minor eye surgeries. And after the second one, I told Mary, Mary Alice said, let's vacation. But I said, I want to vacation close enough to Kansas City where my surgeon was so that I could drive back. And so we decided to vacation in Branson. I always wondered how I would know when I was old. <laughs> I'm not a young man anymore, but I got to tell you, I never feel as young as I do when I'm in Branson. But it's a nice place. Anyway, we, we got a nice place. We rented a nice place. And uh, we kind of got settled in the night. But the next morning when we woke up, Mary Alice told me she had gotten a text from her sister. And our niece, who's not been able to speak a word for all these days, had written something on a whiteboard. And there was the picture that Mary Ellen showed me and it was just kind of scribbled out. What time will Uncle Mark be here? 
Well, I'll tell you, we drove to Springfield and got an airplane and flew to Dallas. And as I sat there and held her hand and prayed with her and Mary Alice and my sister-in-law, I couldn't help but think, what is, she, what is she thinking right now? We're going to get into a car, and tomorrow we're going to get on an airplane and fly back, but she can't do that. By the way, maybe this is a great time because some of you love somebody who's going through a tunnel of health or going through a tunnel of difficulty, but because you love them, you're kind of in the car with them. In fact, you may be going through your own tunnel as a caregiver. Well, if that's the case in the fog today, you're asking some questions and maybe a lot more than the three that I'm going to pose. But I think the three questions, at least that everybody in the tunnel asks is, will I ever get out? How long am I going to be here? And have I been forgotten? See, that's the problem with being in a tunnel and it taking a lot of time. When, when you first go into the tunnel, people, they rise to your help. They, they, they stand for you. They, they write you. They call you. They ask, what can I do? But after time passes, other tunnels crop up and you can feel like you're forgotten. Someone has said that when you lose a loved one, you know, of course, everyone comes alongside and they write you and they call you and they attend the funeral. But then when grief is at its worst, it can get very quiet. As someone said, it is like giving a child a hundred ice cream cones on a hot day and then none. How do you handle life when you're in the tunnel? Did you ever read the book of Job in the Bible? It looks like Job, but it's Job. Did you know that book is practically all about that? Job has 42 chapters. Chapters 1 and 2 are Job going into the tunnel. Chapter 42 is Job coming out. The 39 chapters in the middle are all about being inside the tunnel. In 2008, I did a series of messages called Silence. It's on the book of Job. And I picked that title because that's what the book of Job felt like. And I, when I was meeting with the creative team, I said, here's how I want the graphic to look. I said, I want you to shoot the picture. I want you to shoot it in a cold, gray, cloudy day. Shoot it through the branches of naked, naked branches of, of trees. And then I said, I just want it to have that cold, gray, blue feel of winter. And I said, oh, by the way, when it comes to silence, I like the styling of the letters of the Blair Witch Project. That's what it's like to work with me. And every once in a while, I'll still listen to that series because silence is what it feels like. And when you read the book of Job in chapter one, you see how, how Job went into the tunnel in Job chapter one. You know, Satan has come to accuse God's people to God. That is what he does. One of his names means accuser. So what he does is he goes to God and he accuses. He's like, have you seen what that Mark Hoover's doing? He's pastor of New Spring Church. Do you see his attitude today? Unfortunately, I've given him a lot of material. But when... <laughs> When Satan goes in to accuse people, God just jumps the gun and preempts him and says, have you considered my servant Job? Well, Job is the richest man in the world, but he's the godliest man in the world. 
Well, Satan sneers out in verse 9. Yeah, but Job has good reason to fear God. You always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. And he said, let me, let me take away everything he's got. He'll curse you. Satan believes that nobody loves God. Nobody serves God because of love. And God said, all right. But in all these things, Job did not sin by blaming God. So along comes Satan. And he doesn't say, well, God, I guess you were right. He doubles down and he says to the Lord, skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life. But let me reach out and touch his body and he'll curse you to your face. And God said, okay. But even then, Job does not respond in anger to God. He said, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all these things that Job, Job said nothing wrong. But for the next 39 chapters, Job doesn't understand what's going on. By the way, you do know Job did not have the book of Job. Man, he doesn't know all that backstory in chapters 1 and 2. He thinks what a lot of people think, that God is behind his suffering. And then he's got three friends. Have you ever noticed that when people don't know what to say, they go ahead and say it anyway? Especially on social media. Man, have you noticed there are a lot of people on social media that have anger issues that need to be addressed? What do we do when we're in the tunnel? Well, if we learn anything from the story of Job, it's that good people, God's people, can go through difficult times. I want you to meet a new springer right now whose story reminds me of Job. Last week I told you, there are so many of you who could preach this series way better than I can. And I got to tell you, I've been through some things in my life, but when I think about what some of you have been through, I don't think I'm really qualified to bring this message. And so today you're going to meet a new spring guy, you're going to meet a new spring lady that I think preached this message better than I can. A wonderful guy in our church is a guy by the name of Phil Near. Meet Phil. Well, my name is Phil Near. My wife and I own the Jumpstart Convenience Store chain here in Wichita. Um, we've been coming to New Spring Church since uh, 2010. And um, it's become a big part of our life. We love, we love New Spring Church. I grew up in, in Independence, Southeast Kansas. And after college, we start, I started working for a company called Crescent Oil. And over, over a 20-year period, we built Crescent Oil into one of the largest fuel distribution companies in the Midwest. We, we, we delivered fuel in eight states. We operated stores and supplied stores. And so we were there in that organization until 2009. And then in uh, 2010, Cheryl and I relocated to Wichita and started the Jumpstart Stores Company. So Cheryl and I moved to Wichita in 2010. We um, shortly after that acquired our first convenience store um, on Pawnee, just off of Hydraulic Street in Wichita. And it was, um, it was a challenge because the store was not, had not been taken care of and it was in and bad, uh, need of repair and so we worked very hard over the next couple years to to get the business started and and um, spent a lot of time in 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 the, the store in Wichita and as we grew as we as we developed that store we were able to buy a second store and, and a third store and and over the last uh, 12 years we've uh, we've built our company to, to 25 stores after we moved to Wichita and we started um, the operations of our store number one on, on Pawnee, we realized early that um, there was a lot of need for, for, 
for respect for the people that, that shop at our store. And one of the things that um, we tried to do as, as business owners is, is treat the customers that came into our store with respect. And that was, that was very important to Cheryl and I. And, and as, we, as we developed the store, we, we started using Muzak uh, media sound for the store and, and started doing ads. And one of the things that Cheryl, Cheryl wrote in was uh, in the ads um, that Jesus loves you. And um, that kind of kind of help our customers understand that we we really did care about the community and, and we cared about them and and that played and some people thought it was quirky and some people thought that you know what are you guys really trying to do here but but the the, the thing that we learned was people people did like it and and it was my first experience right after that I had a lady come in the store and ask if she could pray for me in the store and I was kind of like right here you know, and she said, yeah. So she, she put her hand on my shoulder and she prayed for me and, and our family. And, and I thought, this is working. You know, this is really, people are understanding. Some people uh, who are much bolder than me are, are recognizing that we're trying to, we're trying to do the right thing here. And so I found that as, a, as an opportunity in our business to, to, to share Jesus' love with others. We, we thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have Pastor Mark uh, on our gas pump, doing a, doing an ad for 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 New Spring Church and 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 telling telling our customers that Jesus loves them. And so, so that didn't happen before I got sick in in, in September of 2021. Um, I, I I got COVID, and um, on Sunday, week one of the NFL season, my son and I were at Arrowhead Stadium, and on Tuesday, I was diagnosed with COVID not knowing what that really meant. I was in good health, no underlying health issues. And within a week, I was in the hospital and my life was gonna change forever. I got sicker and sicker and my lungs filled up. Um, the doctor wanted to do chest tubes. Cheryl got COVID taking me to the hospital, so she was home and she gave them permission to do the chest tubes, and I went into cardiac arrest and died. They used the paddles to, to start my heart. They brought my children in to tell me goodbye. That was, that was terrible, but I didn't even know what was happening. I was, put on a ventilator when they, when, they, when they started my heart back, they put me on a ventilator, which I told my wife I didn't want to go on a ventilator if, 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 I, if I got worse when I was diagnosed, I told her I don't want to be on a ventilator. But there wasn't any choice, they had to do that. And I was unconscious, I didn't know what was going on. And after three weeks, they, um, they asked my wife, um, they told her that they could not leave the ventilator in my mouth and they were gonna to have to, um, they were gonna have to either do a trach and put it in my throat or take me off of the ventilator. The doctor told my wife that they did not think I would live. And she said, absolutely not. Um, she prayed and cried and prayed. And um, she told the doctor that she felt like God was not gonna let me die and uh, do whatever it took to keep me alive. I was on the ventilator for eight weeks total, and uh, I was unconscious the whole time. 
when I, um, when I got off the ventilator, and I can remember it was December 5th. So I missed all of October and November. I don't, I don't, um, I don't, I don't remember anything from those two months of my life. And when I woke up, I couldn't speak. I couldn't move my legs, I couldn't move my feet. I could barely move my arms and um, I couldn't communicate. All I could do was move my lips. And the doctor, the nurses asked me to, to write on the whiteboard, but I couldn't hold the whiteboard and write. I wasn't strong enough to do that. And I didn't know at that time how bad I really was. I hadn't seen myself. I could not set up in the bed, let alone stand up. Couldn't do anything. And uh, I was trapped in a dead body, and I didn't know what to do. Before I got sick, I was a little over 220 pounds, and I was in good health. And when I woke up the 1st of December, I was 154 pounds. The steroids had um, uh, destroyed my muscles. I had no muscles left, and I looked, um, um, so I was told, I looked like I was had come out of a concentration camp. I had nothing but skin over my bones, and I had no strength. But I did pray to God a lot. I don't really call it praying, I just talk to God a lot. I was on a lot of medication, I had a lot of nightmares, terrible experiences in my head. But I did not, I did not give up on God. He did not give up on me. The infectious disease, disease doctor came and spoke with me and um, I was thanking him for for helping me get better and helping me get where I could get to where I could go to the to the rehabilitation center. And the doctor told me that um, he wanted to thank me. And I said, well, doc, you, there's no reason to thank me. I didn't do anything. And he said, no. He said, you were the only patient that I worked with in 2020 and 2021 that lived, that had COVID. And the fact that you're getting to leave here tomorrow gives me hope. He said, I had lost hope to heal anybody with COVID. And so my whole team is going to be excited that you're getting to leave and it's going to give our whole team hope. And so the next morning, my pulmonologist came in as they were preparing me to leave. And he told me, he said, Phil, he said, we need to talk. And I said, okay, doc, what's up? And he said, well, I want you to understand that you should not be leaving here. He said, you're a miracle from God. The only reason you're leaving here is because God has done a miracle in your life. And you need to understand that. The first time I got to come back to New Spring Church, I came back on a walker. They saved me a seat on the front row. And it was a long way from the parking lot, wheelchair handicapped parking stall, to the front row at New Spring Church. But it was a wonderful time. It was a wonderful day that I could go back to church. That I could go back and, and be part of a live church service. To hear everybody sing, to feel the Holy Spirit, to listen to Pastor Mark. It was such a joy in my life to be able to do that once again. My relationship with, with God has, has, has always been there. But the way I communicate with God changed. 
I used to pray a lot. I used to pray on my knees a lot. But I talk to God all the time now. I'm sure if somebody was watching me, they'd probably think I was a crazy guy talking to myself, but I talk to God all the time. I see God now where I never saw him before. I see him in things he does in my life that before I, I never gave him credit for, before I thought it was just life. But you've heard people say, you know, when you go through a bad experience, the trees are greener, the sky's bluer. It is for me. Everybody knows in our organization that I'm gonna talk about God now. And I'm not a bit bashful because I know without his blessing, I would not be here today. I know that I have to do a better job of trying to help other people see God like I see them. The COVID disease is, is, is awful, and I'm, and I'm a blessing from the Lord, and I know that today. And I hope that as you watch this, everybody can understand that we're all vulnerable and we all need God, and we all need God to make a difference in our lives, and He wants to. We have to make a difference here. What a sermon. And there's so many good points, but the one thing that he says that stands out to me the most is when Phil said, I didn't give up on God, and he didn't give up on me. I want you to meet Sherry. I want you to meet Sherry Kane. Because I think she's got a story for us that's going to be similar, but just a little different. And there are a whole nother wonderful group of points that we can take away today. Meet Sherry Kane. So in 1998, I was in a car wreck. Um, in the car wreck, I was uh, hit by a drunk driver. The impact broke my arm and broke my neck bone and broke three of my ribs and caused my brain to swell instantly. And so I went into an instant coma. I was life watched from the scene uh, to St. Francis Hospital. When I woke up from the coma, uh, they transferred me to Lady Lord's Rehabilitation Hospital to learn how to walk again and to do all functions. But it's, it's so amazing to me how the father just walked with me through all of it. Within a year, you would never know what happened to me unless I told you my story. I have trouble with memory and retaining. I was told that um, I have a high chance of getting Alzheimer's disease from the massive head injury that I had. And I can see that currently affecting me and not being able to retain things like normal people are able to. I had went to 
get a prescription refill for myself. And I'm at the window and he's like, okay, what is your date of birth? And I just froze and I, and I could not recall, no matter how hard I tried, I could not recall my own date of birth. I have learned for me, I can't get overwhelmed in it. Like I have to let go and let God, because if I stay where I'm constantly worried about what I don't know, then I'm, then I'm letting the enemy have control of me. And the Father wants to restore and redeem me. And so I have to let go and let Him have it. My family, I have a lot of cancer in my family. My mother has passed away with cancer and my sister has passed away with cancer. And there's a lot of cancer history in my family. And so um, I uh, go in for all my normal routine yearly checkups. But I went in for my normal mammogram. I uh, just went in and had it done and didn't think anything of it. Two days later, they called me and said that I had major trouble and I needed to come back in for more testing. We determined uh, that I would need to have a double mastectomy. That whole day, I laid in bed. That whole day I laid in bed crying, but I wasn't crying tears of pain. I can't even explain to you the joy and the blessings that our Father brought to me. I remember just countless people were praying over me and blessing me, and I was just in the Father's Word. And um, I told my husband later that night, I, would, I said, this is so amazing. Even though I'm walking through this road that I know nothing about and, and I don't see all the way through yet, I feel the Father moving and working in it and I wouldn't take it back. And, and it's so amazing to have walked through all these roads and to still feel that the Father was right there with me blessing me, holding my hand, telling me I love you, and it's gonna be okay. It was amazing to me, I was in a doctor's appointment and um, Dr. Cusick is my doctor and she's, uh, we were talking about my memory trouble or whatnot and she was asking me, um, why I had that and I told her because of the wreck in 98 and she's like what hospital did you go to and um, I went to St. Francis and she was a trauma doctor at St. Francis and so 25 years later here I am in her office my trauma doctor was actually the same doctor who performed my double mastectomy 25 years later I am walking through a tough journey, and I don't know what's on the other side, but our Father has already went before me and made a way. And um, every day I need to get on my knees and thank Him and um, praise His holy name. And He'll continue to bless me and lead a way. And sometimes the way might be, you do have to have another surgery, or you do have this infection, or you do have trouble but he already has went ahead and made a way. So I had to stay faithful and strong and um, your eyes on him and he will continue to guide you and help you.
Go ahead and stay standing, if you will. Well, I can't even begin to talk about all the treasury of nuggets that you got from Phil and from Sherry. And we'll need to watch these stories again and again. But I want to talk to all of us in the room who are control freaks, <laughs> which probably a new spring, pretty good number. <laughs> Starting with your pastor. Why, why, why are we control freaks? Because we're in a situation where we feel weak and we need power. We need juice. So the two stories that we've heard today beg a question. When you're in the tunnel, where do you find the power? Where do you find the power when you can't do anything? It all goes back to the story of Job that I just kind of touched on today. Satan believes that nobody serves God because they love him. But when you and I go through the tunnels of life and we give God glory, Man, that kicks off activity in heaven. Your greatest power is in praise when you glorify God. You know, I was thinking about something uh, in the two services last night. I thought if, if some national media had uh, covered Phil and Sherry's story, <clears throat> they would probably say it like this. Phil and Sherry leaned on their religion to get through the storm. Man, religion can't get you through those kinds of storms. You know, at New Spring, we're always saying we're not into religion, we're into a relationship with Christ. But I worry about that. I worry about that because that expression of relationship with God or with Christ can roll off the tongue real quickly and not really think about what we're talking about. See, here's the difference. <clears throat> Religion is about what you do. I mean, I've, I've asked countless thousands and thousands of people. I've asked them on airplanes when I'm flying or just people I've met, I've, I've asked people, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? And the amazing thing is almost every person will tell me some version of, I think I'm a pretty good person. I'm not perfect. Why do we say that? It's like it's news. <laughs> Can I just say something to you if you're in South Auditorium, North Auditorium, watching online or on television? If your answer to am I going to heaven is a version of I'm a pretty good person, you're not going, at least right now. Because you see, that's what religion is. Religion's about what you do, and it's never enough. You'd have to be perfect to get into heaven. And I can't be perfect for one day. See, a relationship with God is not about what we do, it is what Jesus has already done for us. I think I've only told this in like a couple of these week, four weekend services, but uh, I remember years and years ago, I was doing a series, I was doing a conference in Fairfax, Virginia. And the church where I was speaking was in the shadow of the Pentagon. So a lot of Pentagon brass were in this church. And so one night after one of the services, when I got through speaking, a guy walked up to me as a general and he said, would you like to play a round of golf with me tomorrow at Andrews Air Force Base Golf Course? I said, sure. 
So he came and picked me up at my hotel and took me out there. And I never will forget, because at least in those days, at Andrews Air Force Base, those little concrete stops at the end of a parking space, they didn't have people's names on it. They had insignia on them. I mean, they were like four stars and three stars and two stars and, and then various other insignia. So if you're a second lieutenant, you're parking in the back of the parking lot. Then we drove right up to the front. But what I remember most is from that moment on, I was treated like I was the most important person in the world by the officers who were overseeing that golf course. My goodness, they came. I didn't have to carry my bag. They came and carried it for me. I mean, and there was this long line of golfers waiting to tee off at the first box. I mean, they came and got me and took me to the front of the line. And all throughout that round of golf, people were coming up to me. Would you like to have a soft drink? Would you like this or that? You know, would you like to cut in front? Guys, I'm going to tell you, I've never been in the military. I've never fought a war, but for that day on that golf course, I was treated like an important person, not for what I've done, but because of who I was with. You see, it was on his career. It was in those long years. It was in his time at Vietnam. It was in his time in the Gulf War that I was there that day. If you ever get into heaven, it will not be because you're a good person. It'll be because of who you are with. That God loved you so much that even though you were a sinner, Jesus died for your sins and he paid for your dysfunction. He paid for your sins. And by the way, I want to say something here because I think there's something that gets in between a lot of people really having a real relationship with God today. We live in a world where sin it's called disease, it's called dysfunction, it's called mistakes. I mean, there are people today that talk about wicked lifestyles and they'll talk about the mistakes they made. Listen, guys, a mistake is leaving the milk out overnight. Sin is rebellion against a holy God. And if we want to have a relationship with God, we got to get honest about that. We're not a mistake or we're sinners. And God loved us so much that his, Jesus' blood, the blood that came out of his body, paid for your sins. And anybody who is willing to be honest about our relationship with God, how it's broken because of our sin, if we're willing to declare spiritual bankruptcy and come to Christ as a needy sinner, the Bible tells us that if we believe he died for us, if we believe he arose from the grave and we commit our lives to him, you're calling, talk about it in the baptism testimony today, that all your sins will be washed away, that you'll become God's daughter, you'll become God's son, and <laughs> he will be with you like he was with Sherry and Phil when you go through your tunnels. But best of all, and by the way, we're all going to end this life in a tunnel. Best of all, when you come out of the tunnel in this life, of when you come out of the tunnel of death, you're going to enter the brightness of the glory of God in eternal heaven. That was over 180 seconds, wasn't it? But it's pretty important. If you're here today, you can have a relationship with God. You're like, Mark, how do I do it? Well, the Bible tells us it's a gift. And you just have to be willing to receive it. You know, a lot of people don't want to receive a gift. They want to earn something, but you can't have that relationship with God that way. 
You have to come like a needy sinner and receive his gift. Now, here's the thing. How do you receive a gift? You just reach out and accept it. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. I love that word. So whether you're here in South Auditorium or over in North Auditorium or watching online or watching on television, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to put little breaks between the lines because these words will not save you. But if you mean them from your heart and believe in Christ as your Savior, God will hear your prayer. Okay, would you just bow your head with me? If you've already received Christ, then pray for those who are about to. Dear God, I am a sinner. I can't save myself. But I believe you love me. I do believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I do believe he arose from the grave. And because Jesus is alive, I receive him as my savior. I honor him as my king. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for, for, for offering me forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you, you could say, well, Mark, I just prayed with you, but I, um, I, I don't know. Oh, it's behind the speaker box over here. Someone could say, well, Mark, I prayed with you, but I don't really know what I just did. Well, I have a gift I want to give you. And this is true whether you're here in the, on the campus or you're watching online or on television. Inside this box is a New Spring Bible, like you see me have. And if you have questions, which all of us, I think, probably do, I've written a little book called My New Walk with God that will answer a lot of questions about what you just did. And you can read it in like 20 minutes. It's short. And then um, there's a little journal in here because as you read through the Bible, you may want to write your thoughts down about what God is showing you. And then there's some coupons in here, I think, for free coffee at coffee shop. No strings attached. If you're here, all you have to do is text the word PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. As you walk around the concourse, you'll see the blue and white info centers. Just go up and say, I pray with Mark. And if you want to be in a conversation, they'll have one with you, but no strings attached. You can just get this and take it with you today. If you're watching online, text the word PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. Follow the steps and we'll mail this to you. I feel like God met with us in all four of our services this weekend. Don't you feel that way? Yes. Next weekend, I'm bringing a message called Through the Fire. And so until then, may God bless you. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.